0: We'll hear argument now in number 915397, Emery L. Ngonsett versus Harold Samuels, Warden. Uh, Ms. Thompson.
1: Please, the court. This case comes before the court on a writ of certiorari from the Tenth Mm -hmm. Circuit Court of Appeals. The issue for decision is whether 18 U.S. Code, Section 3243, prohibits the state of Kansas from exercising criminal jurisdiction over an offense defined by the laws of the United States and enumerated in the Major Crimes Act, 18 U.S. Code 1153. Section 3243 was passed by Congress in 1940, and it conferred jurisdiction on Kansas over intra-Indian offenses to the same extent as its courts had jurisdiction over offenses committed elsewhere within the state in accordance with the laws of the state. However, Congress added a proviso which states that the courts of the United States shall not be deprived of jurisdiction over offenses defined by the laws of the United States. The first court to interpret Section 3243 was the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in the case of Young Bear v. Brewer. This 1977 decision upheld a lower court's finding that Iowa's jurisdictional statute, which is virtually identical to the Kansas Act, did not grant Iowa concurrent jurisdiction with the federal courts over offenses defined by the laws of the United States. In 1982, the Kansas Supreme Court, following the reasoning and analysis of the Eighth Circuit in Young Bear, held that the federal courts had exclusive jurisdiction over federal offenses defined in the the Major Crimes Act. Then in 1986, in the case of State of Kansas versus Nagansat, the Kansas Supreme Court reversed itself, holding that the state had concurrent jurisdiction with the federal courts over major crimes. It is that decision of the Kansas Supreme Court which ultimately gave rise to this case. The facts of the case are not in dispute. Briefly, Mr. Nagansot was arrested, tried, and convicted by state authorities in state court for the crime of aggravated battery. Now, this crime occurred within the confines of the Kickapoo Reservation, and both Mr. Nagansot and the victim were enrolled members
2: of the Kickapoo Nation in Kansas. What, what, what crime covered by the uh, federal Major Crimes Act most closely parallels the state crime?
1: It would be those crimes found in 18 u.s code uh, section 113 c and f which is basically assault with a dangerous weapon I'm on right.
2: c and f c
1: sub c and f thank you mr nagansat challenged his conviction by filing a writ of habeas corpus in the federal district court attacking of course the subject matter jurisdiction of the state courts the 10th circuit upheld the district court's dismissal of the writ of habeas corpus finding that 18 U.S. Code 3243 granted Kansas concurrent jurisdiction over federal crimes, which are also defined by state law. It is our contention that this decision of the Tenth Circuit violates generally accepted principles of federal Indian law and is also contrary to the legislative history of the Act.
0: Are you saying that it's inconsistent with the language of Section 3243,
1: Yes, Your Honor, I'm saying...
0: I don't see why that is. It it seems to me that just taking uh, that rather brief statute on its face, concurrent jurisdiction in state and federal courts is is perfectly consistent with everything that 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 language says.
1: If you take the language of the proviso, where it says, shall not deprive the courts of the United States, it's our contention that shall not deprive is, is not language granting concurrent jurisdiction. Why not? Because it's mandatory. Shall not deprive the courts of the
0: United States. But concurrent jurisdiction—if a court has concurrent jurisdiction—it surely has not been deprived of jurisdiction.
1: It has—it has been deprived of exclusive jurisdiction, and as this court has held for the at least the last hundred years, jurisdiction under the Major Crimes Act is exclusive. With but federal district the, the court.
0: proviso doesn't say that it shall not deprive the courts of, ex, ex, of the United States of exclusive jurisdiction. It just says of jurisdiction.
1: That's that's correct, Justice Rehnquist. But again, our contention is that you have to analyze this Kansas statute in conjunction with the Major Crimes Act.
3: Anyway, why why um, why does the United States not have continue to have exclusive jurisdiction?
1: Because it does course, have,
3: continue to have exclusive jurisdiction over federal crimes, doesn't it?
1: No, it's that jurisdiction that is that is shared by the state of Kansas.
3: Could, is it is it the government's position that the state of Kansas can try federal offenses in, in uh, Kansas courts?
1: No, that's not the contention.
3: That's right. The contention and, is and that... And therefore, the United States courts continue to have exclusive jurisdiction over federal crimes.
1: But that's not how it's been... Our contention is that the Major Crimes Act is, uh, de- defines federal offenses, and that therefore that fits right in with the proviso of the Kansas statute. The Tenth Circuit has held that in that situation where you uh, also, for example, aggravated battery is, of course, defined by state law. And when it is defined by state law, then the federal courts and the state courts have concurrent mm-hmm. jurisdiction.
3: Well, I... Th- I th- we I think there 's a little confusion that uh, that uh, arises from your use uh, in in your brief and, and, and in dis- and maybe there 's no other term, but usually when you say concurrent jurisdiction, you mean that two courts have jurisdiction uh, over the same, uh, over the same cause of action or, or over the same criminal offense that 's not what 's at issue here what 's at issue here is concurrent legislative jurisdiction in a sense that is uh, the state courts the, the, the state government can make uh, criminal under state law certain acts on the reservation and try those offenses in state court. And the federal government may make criminal the similar acts under federal law and try those in federal courts so that the state courts and the federal courts don't have concurrent jurisdiction. They have, they have exclusive jurisdiction of their separate crimes, but it's only the legislative jurisdiction that's concurrent. That's true. And that's really what you're talking about?
1: Yes. Since is this court stated in Canon uh, versus University of Chicago that Congress acts with knowledge of existing law and therefore absent a clear manifestation of contrary intent, a newly enacted statute is presumed to be harmonious with existing law and its judicial construction Any analysis of the Kansas Act must be made in conjunction with the Major Crimes Act. The Major Crimes Act was passed by Congress in 1885 to fill the jurisdictional void left by this court's decision in Ex parte Crow Dog, because prior to the passage of the Major Crimes Act, tribal courts had exclusive jurisdiction over crimes committed within their reservation boundaries. Now, the Major Crimes Act has been interpreted by this court since United States v. Kagama as vesting exclusive jurisdiction with the federal courts for an Indian defendant committing one of its enumerated crimes because the purpose of the act was to provide a federal form for the prosecution of major crimes and to protect Indians from prosecution in state court. Now, in United States v. Kagama, this court... Um, detailed many reasons why it felt the federal courts had to have exclusive jurisdiction over these major crimes. One, that Indian nations were and continue to be today wards of the nation dependent on the United States government for all political rights. Secondly, because of local ill-feeling, the people of the states where they are found are often their deadliest enemies, and therefore federal jurisdiction was necessary for their protection. In other words, the purpose of the act was to protect Indians from the prejudices of their non-Indian neighbors and to preclude state legislative interference in their affairs. Now, despite Kagama and his progeny, the Court of Appeals found that Congress impliedly modified the exclusivity of the federal courts under the Major Crimes Act. It is our contention that had Congress wished to modify the Major Crimes Act as it pertained to Kansas, it could have done so by passing the first version of the bill, which is found in 86 Congressional Record 5596, and which is set forth verbatim in my brief. Now this version expressly provided for concurrent jurisdiction and explicitly modified the Major Crimes Act as it pertained to Kansas.
4: Well, is it, is it true, as the other side argues, that if it had done that, uh, the Act would, in fact, have constituted a misstatement about concurrent jurisdiction with respect to minor crimes?
1: At, that, at the time that the Act was passed, it was unclear whether or not the Assimilative Crimes Act, the General Crimes Act, applied in Indian Country. And that issue was not decided until the decision in Williams v. the United States in 1946. But it could have been a good reason—I'm
4: sorry— it could have been a good reason to drop the word concurrent just because there was disagreement over that and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, those who, who finally passed the legislation were of one view, i.e. That, uh, that there was not jurisdiction over the minor crimes.
1: It could have been a good reason, but on the other hand, uh, Justice Souter, Congress has plenary power to deal with Indian Affairs. Had it wanted to grant concurrent jurisdiction uh, to the state and the federal government, under um, well, what became the Assimilative Crimes Act? Uh, it could have done so.
4: Well, it could, but it clearly did not want to do so with respect to minor crimes.
1: That's 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 clear from the history. It's our contention that deletion of the word "concurrent" and the failure to modify the Major Crimes Act shows that Congress did not intend to grant Kansas concurrent jurisdiction over major crimes. <clears throat> Now, both the Solicitor General and the Attorney General and, of course, the Court of Appeals excluse, <clears throat> excuse the failure um, to modify and to delete the word concurrent with reference to Secretary Berlew's letter, which is part of the legislative history of the Act. Uh, and as you stated, Justice Souter, because it did not reflect the true situation. However, as the Court in Young Bear held, when legislators delete language we may assume that they intended to eliminate the effect of the previous wording. And since Congress chose not to include language modifying the Major Crimes Act, it can be assumed that Congress did not intend to convey that jurisdiction to the state courts.
0: Well, under, uh, under, under your view of, of the meaning of the statute, Ms. Thompson, uh, what jurisdiction is conferred on the Kansas courts by virtue of the, the first Part of twenty three
1: forty three. I'm sorry. Our contention, Justice uh, Rehnquist, is that Kansas has jurisdiction over small misdemeanor crimes. That the federal government retains exclusive jurisdiction over major crimes. Mm-hmm.
0: Then you really read out of that first language the 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 words, to the same extent as its courts have jurisdiction over offenses committed elsewhere within the state in accordance with the laws of the state.
1: That's correct. And uh, as, we, as I talked about before, there, the question as to whether the General Crimes Act and the Assimilative Crimes Act applied to Indian Country has been, um, th- this court has held that since Williams versus the United States, that they do in fact apply to Indian Country. Uh, the Solicitor General brought up a point in his brief that, well, exactly what was the scope of jurisdiction given to Kansas? Who was going to have jurisdiction over general crimes or assimilated crimes? Uh, I would urge the court to hold as the, um, well, while the Tenth Circuit has held that assimilated crimes are state offenses, the Ninth Circuit has held in U.S. versus Bayer and U.S. versus Marseilles that when the federal court adopts these assimilated crimes, that they become federal offenses, and I would urge the court to hold that way.
2: Uh, are, the, are there Indian tribes in the state of Kansas which have their own tribal courts?
1: Yes, Your Honor. Um,
2: and, and the tribal courts uh, punish minor offenses, uh, I take it?
1: The, let me give you one example. The Kickapoo Tribal Court has been in existence for the past three years. Just last week, they started to hear their first misdemeanor. Offenses.
0: And,
2: and that jurisdiction, I take it, would be shared by the state of Kansas under your interpretation? Yes. All right, so then it's not correct to say that Kansas has exclusive jurisdiction over minor crimes, is it?
1: No, I do not believe that it is. It's just the, the fact that uh, well, one of the reasons for the law was the fact that there was a lack of, of tribal courts and that the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs was very reluctant to provide funding for the tribal courts. There had to be a forum where these small offenses could be adjudicated. Uh, now, of course, the tribal courts are hearing these offenses. <clears throat> Again, uh, if we take it as example, when Congress wishes to convey criminal jurisdiction, Congress makes that intent unequivocally clear, as it did with Public Law 280 jurisdiction. Uh, in particular, 18 U.S. Code 1162, which granted criminal jurisdiction to six states, and, it's, and the law specifically modified the Major Crimes Act, the General Crimes Act, and the Simulative Crimes Act as it pertained to those states. It, and, and uh, Of course, PL 280 was passed by Congress in 1953, Uh, only a few years after they passed the Iowa statute in 1948. It seems only logical that had Congress wished to convey total criminal jurisdiction to the state of Kansas, they would have specifically set this forth in the statute. Absent a clear expression of congressional intent, uh, the interpretation of the statute by the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, by the Attorney General and the Solicitor General, violates the rules of statutory construction, which is applicable to Indians. For example, laws must be liberally construed to favor Indians, and ambiguous statutes should be liberally liberally construed in favor of Indians and not to their prejudice. That, of course, comes from Bryan v. Atasca County. To interpret the Kansas Act as the Court of Appeals has done, would, number one, eliminate the historically exclusive stewardship of the federal government over major crimes as found in Kagama. And, secondly, it would subject uh, Indians in Kansas, in Iowa, in North Dakota, to a double prosecution.
3: Well, on uh, the other hand, you could look upon it as uh, as uh, granting Indian, crimes, uh, Indian tribes the great benefit of, of being protected by two, two criminal laws federally. Federal law and state law, they, 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 they can get the, the FBI to protect them as well as local law enforcement officers. I, I don't know why in determining uh, whether Indians are being harmed or benefited by this interpretation, we have to uh, look at it from the point of view of the Indian criminal instead of from the point of view of the Indian non-criminal. Why isn't it an advantage to the Indian tribes to be protected by both state and federal criminal laws?
1: Uh, Justice Scalia, we're... I am not looking at this from the point of the Indian criminal. I am looking at this from the point of Indian and and tribal sovereignty. The more state interference...
3: They don't have sovereignty anyway. I mean, the the criminal law is going to be... It's not tribal criminal law that's going to govern no matter what, right?
1: No, it's going to be the state. Mm. But, But again, we're looking at this from the... Because uh, the, the Indian criminal defendant, he's going to be punished one way or the other, whether it's state court or federal court. Well, we're looking at this as an intrusion on the, basically on the rights of the tribes to to make their own laws and govern themselves. Well,
3: I, I thought the Indians supported the uh, uh, Major Crimes Act uh, on the assumption that the states uh, would have power.
1: Do you mean supported this Kansas Act?
2: Yeah, the Kansas Act. Kansas
1: Act. Yes. Uh, well, as brought out in the uh, brief by MKE uh, Native American Rights Fund, as it turns out, that at least one tribe, the Potawatomi Tribe, did not support the passage of this act. And in the letters that the chairman of the Potawatomi Tribe wrote to uh, Chairman Rogers, it is quite clear that they disagreed with the passage of this act. In its entirety, they did not want the state to have any kind of jurisdiction over them.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, what, how about some other Indians? We could did not, any Indians support it?
1: We could not find any, any resolution supporting the act. Uh, the only thing that we were able to find in the uh, archives mm-hmm. were these letters from the Pottawatomie Tribal Council to Chairman Rogers asking that the act not be passed. So, there was not total support uh, there
3: oh, was uh, there
2: some support from the Indians?
1: The only support that that we know about is what is um, stated in in uh, secretary burlow 's letter and in the memo from the Department of the Interior, which is found in the legislative history. Uh, of course, that is his word as to what happened, and obviously that 's not even true. Because of the letters that we found in the archives from the Pottawatomies uh, to Chairman Rogers. Uh, other than that, uh, there's no expression of, there are no letters from an Indian <clears throat> tribe saying, yes, we support this bill, or from individual Indians saying, yes, we want this bill passed.
0: Ms. Thompson, did the Colorado
5: opposition uh, surface rather late in all this?
1: I'm sorry, I don't understand your question.
5: You said there was an opposition by the one tribe, which I think you referred to as the Colorado something. Did this surface rather late in the litigation?
1: No, it did not, Justice Brennan. In fact, the first letter that was sent to Chairman Rogers was dated April 25, 1940. asking that the law not be passed. The second canon of construction, as found in Menominee Tribe versus the United States, states that federal statute should be construed so as to avoid implicit repeals. Holding that Kansas has concurrent jurisdiction over major crimes would repeal the Major Crimes Act as it pertains to Kansas.
3: But would it be implicit? I mean, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be an explicit repeal?
1: Well, because the it is not explicitly stated in the statute itself that the major crimes act are uh, that the major crimes act is modified as it pertains to Kansas. Our feeling is that it would be more of an impl- implicit repeal.
0: Well, what if the simply the first paragraph and not the second paragraph of 3243 were there? Would you still say that that could not be applied according to its language because of the uh, presumption against implied repeal?
1: Yes. Because of, again, because of the exclusi- exclusivity of federal courts under the Major Crimes Act. However, the state of New York, which also, which has a law similar to the Kansas law, except for the second proviso, um, in litigation under that law, the Second Circuit in U.S. versus Cook has held that, that uh, statute standing alone provides the state and federal government with concurrent jurisdiction.
0: You know, Congress is certainly trying to effect some change in the status quo with, with, this, with this legislation.
1: They are uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, and what they are trying to cure, and I believe this um, by reviewing the legislative history of the Act, there are numerous references to the fact that there are no tribal courts on the reservation, that there is this jurisdictional void which has to be filled, that the Bureau, the Department of the Interior, is very reluctant to fund these tribal courts and allegedly... The tribes don't even want the tribal courts. Now, there are, of course, references in the legislative history to the major crimes. But the main problem, when you look at the situation in 1940, the federal courts already had jurisdiction over the major crimes, whether the state was assuming that jurisdiction or not. The problem was there were no tribal courts. And the state did not have jurisdiction over misdemeanor offenses. That was the reason the act was passed, was to solve that problem. Uh, Even today. The majority of crimes are small crimes. They're not felonies. They're not serious offenses.
3: It seems to me that uh, if if you have a a prior statute that says grass is green and, and a later statute is passed that says grass is blue, that is not an implicit repeal of the earlier statute. It's an explicit repeal. I don't think you have to say in the later statute to achieve an explicit repeal, grass is blue and not green. I think it's enough to say grass is blue. It repeals the earlier one. Doesn't it? And that would certainly be the case if you only had the first paragraph, as the chief justice uh, uh, questioned.
1: Yes, yes, it would be. Uh, at any rate, what has happened is that the Major Crimes Act has been repealed by this by this by this statute, without Congress ever allowing that or authorizing that to happen.
6: Well, that goes back to the question I think Justice Scalia asked you, because how does it in any way affect the authority of the United States to define, prosecute, and punish major crimes? It doesn't. uh, How how is that some kind of a repeal?
1: Well, Justice O'Connor, it may not affect the ability of the United States government to Define crimes or punish crimes, but as it's working out, uh, the state of Kansas has is assuming total jurisdiction. There is never a case that is going to go to federal court. Well,
6: so what for, would prevent the federal government from prosecuting this same man for a federal offense? Nothing would prevent. In fact, that's well, one of the problems. So with th- it's it. open to the federal government to do that. How it has is. it been deprived of anything? Because it's, de- it's been deprived of its exclusivity,
1: when the state can prosecute an inane defendant, when it is allowed to do that, the federal courts no longer have exclusive jurisdiction. It's not a, not a situation of depriving. Well, the federal, the federal court, court still
6: has exclusive jurisdiction of federal crimes. It just doesn't have jurisdiction over state crimes, but it
1: never did. No, it doesn't have jurisdiction over state crimes, but the problem is, from the other way, is that the state has jurisdiction over these federally defined offenses. That's the problem. No,
6: the state has jurisdiction over the state-defined Yes, I'm
1: I'm sorry, I I should have... uh, An offense that is is a crime under both the state and under the federal government. Uh, Just very briefly, I'd like to review the legislative history of the Act... Um, which the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals did because it found the act ambiguous. And I would urge the court to pay the most attention to the letter from Congressman Lambertson, which again is set forth uh, in total in Petitioner's Brief. Uh, In that letter, the congressman, who of course was elected by the people on or near the reservation, states that all parties are agreed that the state of Kansas was to have full jurisdiction for full crimes. Uh, Now, the Solicitor General and the Attorney General have uh, basically made up or have determined that uh, that letter perhaps should not be given the full credence that it should uh, because, again, there is no mention in that letter that Kansas was to have any jurisdiction over the major crimes. And according to uh, Woodward Manufacturing versus the NCRB. It is the sponsors that we look to when we are determining the statutory word in doubt. Mr. Chief Justice, I would like to reserve a few minutes for a rebuttal.
0: Very well, Ms. Thompson. Thank you. Uh, General Stephen, we'll hear from you.
7: Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. I'd like to respond to some of the statements made by Ms. Thompson, but first I would like to point out that the Kansas Act has done exactly what the Congress intended. It's legalized uh, the enforcement of major and minor crimes in the Kansas reservations. It's provided courts where there were none true. Uh, there is now one court uh, on the Kickapoo Nation Reservation, uh, but it is virtually just uh, getting underway. The other three tribes. Uh, have no tribal courts. It met uh, the request of the four Kansas tribes in 1940 when it was enacted. It eliminated the administrative nightmare uh, at the time of trying to determine uh, where the crime occurred on the reservation. Was it a part of an unrestricted allotment or was it a part of trust property or restricted allotment? Two-thirds of the land at the time of the enactment of this act uh, was uh, uh, un, uh, consisted of unrestricted allotments.
0: General Stephen, whereabouts in Kansas is the Kickapoo Reservation?
7: Uh, the Kickapoo, all of the reservations are in the northeast part uh, of the state of Kansas, uh, near uh, Brown County, Jackson County, uh, in that area of the state. Uh,
5: General Stephen, can I ask one question? Yes. the. Uh, both the uh, legislative history and your st- statement just now indicated the four tribes all supported uh, this legislation. Yes. <clears throat> well, how does that square with the amicus briefs and the correspondence in the amicus briefs? If this is a, the legislative history is all second-hand information, but the original tribal records seem to point in the other direction.
7: Well, there, the letter referred to the Pottawatomie Business Council, uh, in, in those letters... Uh, the author of the letters also referred to another Pottawatomie Business Council, but he didn't agree with that council, so there was obviously a split of some kind in the court uh, in the Tron. Uh, but, and, and they also indicated in the letter that they realized that this would maintain full jurisdiction uh, to the state of Kansas and seemed to be more concerned about an attempt by Brown and Jackson counties in Kansas to collect taxes. And they thought this was a guise to collect taxes that evidently they'd received a judgment for uh, in a federal court uh, and that Brown and Jackson County were were trying to evade those taxes. And and when you take that, uh, along with the statements of the Secretary of Interior, uh, Secretary Berlew at the time, and and the superintendent and the memorandum attached, uh, they say all four tribal councils wanted uh, this legislation. And I think that has to be given great credit,
5: even though the records themselves say we, the business committee, and so on and so on, take the other
7: voted by a majority the other way. Well, it, the business council, but we don't know exactly who this business council is. I, in the letter, we don't rep- know today.
5: How do we know that? no the secretary knew back when the act was passed. I mean, that's his information is all
7: secondhand too. Well, it's all secondhand, but I guess it. We've got one tribe, and he's talking about all four, so at least it's three to one. And, and uh, I would give great credence. He was the trustee for the Indian tribes.
5: Maybe this is a pretty good argument for not looking at legislative
7: history. Well, it could be that, and I will do my best to stay away from it. <laughs> council did indicate that uh, the Kansas Act uh, is an implicit repeal of the Major Crimes Act. And I'd point out that the Major Crimes Act uh, uh, does not uh, preclude the state from exercising jurisdiction, and, and certainly uh, there is nothing that is repealed in there. I noticed the courts looking at the map, I, I presume, of Kansas. Uh, they just got 14 inches of snow yesterday uh, in that area. Uh, the overriding issue in this case is over the words exclusive jurisdiction as used in Section 1153, the Major Crimes Act. And do these words mean that the federal government has exclusivity over Indian country, thereby precluding the state from exercising jurisdiction over the major crimes listed? Or do these words identify the body of law that is to be applied by the federal courts when conducting a prosecution over crimes committed in Indian country? The words exclusive jurisdiction in the Major Crimes Act does not mean that the Federal Government has exclusive jurisdiction to prosecute. The words do not apply to prosecutorial jurisdiction extended over Indian country, but are only used as a description of the laws which are extended to it. The clause refers to the body of law and procedure and not to the exclusivity of prosecution it does not confer the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal courts, but identifies the law that is applied in those courts. Of course, since jurisdiction over Indian country can only be obtained through an act of Congress, only the federal government could exercise jurisdiction pursuant to Section 1153, unless through another act of Congress, Kansas was given jurisdiction in Indian country. It is not the language-exclusive jurisdiction is used in Section 1153 that precludes the exercise of state jurisdiction over conduct by Indians in Indian Country. The preclusion flows from the general principles that the state has no inherent jurisdiction over Indians in Indian Country and may exercise jurisdiction only where, as authorized in the Kansas Act, there is a clear grant of authority by Congress where does exclusivity come from in the Major Crimes Act? The exclusivity comes from the fact that Congress delegated authority to the United States in that act, and it means exactly what it says. You have to look at more than the word exclusive and examine the section in its entirety. And with it, when this is done, you can see that exclusivity refers to the manner and body of federal law which shall be applied. Is the state
2: acting as the the agent of the federal government when it prosecutes under its own laws?
7: No, the state is not acting as the agent of the federal government. The federal government has given the state authority to execute its laws, the state laws, in regard to crimes that occur on the reservation.
2: I take it there would be no objection under the Double Jeopardy Clause to multiple prosecutions?
7: That issue has never been met, uh, but I am convinced at this point that certainly the better line of thought is that there would be uh, nothing to prevent a prosecution by both the uh, federal and the state government.
2: In order for that result to obtain, is it necessary to say that what the federal government has done is to acquiesce in the exercise of state sovereignty? Is that the way it works?
7: I don't know that there's acquiescence because the state is not required to maintain the prosecution.
2: Well, there's either acquiescence or delegation. The only only reason I ask is if there there is a double jeopardy problem, that might be one argument in favor of construing the statute as the petitioner wishes us to do.
7: Double jeopardy has certainly been uh, an issue that's been raised in other circumstances. Uh, and there are uh, prosecutions today under both fate, uh, state and federal law uh, that arise from the same set of facts. And double jeopardy is not a problem in those instances. And, and the same is but, true but, in regard to Indian reservations.
2: That's like in Barkus versus Bartkus versus Illinois. But there the state has its own sovereignty that it's exercised. And I'm just asking you if we can't interpret this act as allowing the state to exercise its own sovereignty.
7: Well, the state does exercise its sovereignty. But that its seems somewhat inconsistent the, with your. Act.
2: Excuse me. I'm sorry. That that seems somewhat in, inconsistent with your saying that the United States has delegated its power to the states.
7: If I said that, then I misspoke because. No federal power was delegated to the state. The Congress granted to the state authority to enforce its laws on the Indian reservations.
3: General Stephan, I I would agree with you uh, that the Major Crimes Act does not imply exclusive federal jurisdiction, but simply describes the jurisdiction uh, whose laws are, are applied, namely uh, um, uh, those laws that exist where the United States has exclusive jurisdiction. I would agree with that, but for one, one word. Um, subsection A says, shall be subject to the same law and penalties it does not say as persons committed, committing any of the above offenses within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States. It says, not as all persons, it says as all other persons committing any of the above offenses within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States. Now, the implication of the word other is that an Indian committing such an offense is a person committing that offense within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States. Isn't that the implication of using the word other?
7: Well, if I understand your question correctly, this Major Crimes Act applies to an Indian perpetrator, whether or not the victim is an Indian or a non-Indian.
3: That's right. But does it not imply that that Indian perpetrator is a perpetrator acting within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States? Because it uses the word other. He shall be treated the same as all other persons committing any of the above offenses within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States.
7: The term exclusive jurisdiction uh, is an extension of the, of the uh, laws uh, on federal enclaves, uh, and is not the exclusive jurisdiction is not maintained from the language of the Act itself, but from the fact that in the Major Crimes Act, no authority is delegated to the states. And so well, you
3: say that, but I find within the act itself the word other that certainly suggests to me that uh, the act uh, at least implies exclusivity. Now, one can argue that it is nonetheless uh, uh, subsequently amended by, uh, by uh, 3243, but, uh, but it seems to me the word other uh, does imply that, uh, uh, that, in, that an Indian perpetrator is within the exclusive
7: jurisdiction of the United States. Uh, the Major Crimes Act was originally enacted uh, as a result uh, of uh, the uh, Crow Dog case that said they did not have, that the federal government did not have jurisdiction uh, on the reservation in regard to a, a particular murder case where one Indian murdered another Indian because it was not a federal enclave. And so, when you t- so the Major Crimes Act was enacted, and its purpose was to solve that problem and to make certain that major crimes were prosecutable by the United States. And there, uh, even in, in, uh, in that case, uh, or, or, or the subsequent case of Kagama that construed the Major Crimes Act, uh, this court made very clear that uh, that did not uh, express limitations upon the powers of the state even with the cases that have talked uh, about the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government, uh, this matter uh, has not uh, uh, spoken uh, to a limitation in regard to the uh, powers of the state. Ms. Thompson uh, referred uh, the fact that uh, the language shall not deprive is mandatory, and therefore Kansas doesn't have uh, uh, concurrent jurisdiction. And I think that, that meets basically the same issue that uh, we just discussed. Uh, this reserves a right uh, to the federal government uh, to proceed accordingly uh, with the laws uh, that it has enacted. The Kansas Act is unambiguous. The first sentence, standing alone, unambiguously, confers on Kansas criminal jurisdiction over all criminal offenses committed by or against Indians on Indian reservations. Congress, by the passage of the Kansas Act, granted to Kansas jurisdiction that had only been granted, previously had only been granted to the federal government. Just as unambiguously, the second sentence, preserve the subject matter jurisdiction of federal courts over crimes defined by federal law. The federal courts retain their jurisdiction to entertain any prosecution under the Major Crimes Act. The canon of construction that full effect should be given to all the statute's language leads to the conclusion that the federal government has concurrent jurisdiction with the state's unqualified grant of authority. Congress created a body of law that applies to federal enclaves that are within the sole and exclusive jurisdiction of the United States by the enactment of the Federal Enclaves Act. This body of law was extended to Indian Country by the Major Crimes Act and the General Crimes Act, but those acts do not make Indian Country a federal enclave. And for that reason, it is the body of law that applies and not the exclusive authority of the courts of the United States It was extended to Indian Country. And so reference to within the exclusive jurisdiction of the United States refers to the subject matter jurisdiction of the body of law to be extended to Indian Country and not the type of jurisdiction that was conferred upon the federal courts because Congress did not make Indian Country a federal enclave. This act has worked as it should and has served uh, the tribes, uh, and the people of the state of Kansas well, and uh, the judgment uh, of the Tenth Circuit was correct.
0: Thank you, General Stephen. Uh, Mr. Kelly, we'll hear from you.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I just have... uh few points to make. First, uh, on the language of the statute, it's quite clear in our view that the the statute gave Kansas complete jurisdiction to prosecute offenses to the full extent of state law. The second sentence of the statute, it seems to us, merely maintained federal jurisdiction where it existed. It is not an implied repeal of of the Major Crimes Act to give the state jurisdiction over a crime under state law because after the passage of Section 3243 and before, the federal courts had jurisdiction to entertain major crimes prosecutions under Section 1153. Now, Petitioner has uh, referred to the the first version of the bill and its uh, inclusion of the word concurrent and the reference to modification of the Major Crimes Act as indicating that Congress must have meant something different in the final version of the bill. In fact, we think Congress did mean something different, and it's fully explained in the legislative history what Congress meant. Prior to the passage, excuse me, at the time, this statute was under consideration. The federal government did not have jurisdiction over so-called minor crimes under what is now Section 1152 between two Indians. The federal government does not have that jurisdiction today. It's quite clear, however, that the, under the Kansas Act, the state has jurisdiction over minor crimes between two Indians. Moreover, at the time that the Act was under consideration, there was some uncertainty as to the applicability of the Assimilative Crimes Act in Indian country. Uh, that, that uncertainty, of course, was removed by the court's decision six years later in Williams versus United States. But it's quite clear that Congress meant by removing the word concurrent from the final version of the bill to make clear that Kansas had more jurisdiction than the federal government had to that point, thus the amendment was intended to make the bill broader rather than narrower than the first version. now another problem in petitioners' position of course is that the modification referred to in the first version of the bill referred to what was then uh, what has now become section eleven hundred and fifty two so-called minor crimes. Petitioner's position in this court, however, is that that's all that the state was granted jurisdiction over. If the removal of the modification of the Major Crimes Act reference in the, in the version of the bill was intended to retain exclusive jurisdiction over major crimes prosecutions, the same must be true of jurisdiction over Section 1152 prosecutions. The, that the state, states generally do not have jurisdiction over minor crimes involving Indians unless Congress grants it. Thus, the petitioner can have it one way, but not both. It seems to us that is, under her view, there should be no concurrent jurisdiction at all. You, the- say,
0: you say, under her view, then, uh, uh, under the petitioner's view, the Kansas courts would have gotten no additional jurisdiction under this under the first sentence.
8: Well, Kansas, the Kansas courts would have gotten jurisdiction. Mr. Chief Justice, over minor crimes between two Indians, because federal jurisdiction did not exist over those crimes then, and it does not today. There's some question whether uh, Kansas would have had jurisdiction over assimilated crimes that are defined by reference to state law rather than general federal crimes defined by reference to federal law. The proviso in in the Kansas Act refers to uh, not depriving federal courts of jurisdiction over offenses defined by federal law and if assimilated crimes are, are viewed as being defined by reference to state law then an argument could be made that the state would have jurisdiction over those offenses as well but it's quite clear that congress meant to grant the state more than concurrent jurisdiction that is more than the federal courts had it's also quite clear however that congress meant to preserve federal major crimes jurisdiction that jurisdiction was in one sense exclusive at the time that is Only the federal government could prosecute crimes arising out of conduct that was was made criminal uh, under the the offenses enumerated in the Major Crimes Act. After passage of the act, the state has that power as well to prosecute under state law. The federal jurisdiction to prosecute crimes defined by federal law, which is what the statute says, was exclusive then and it remains exclusive today. Uh, With respect to the uh, lack of clarity as to the consent of the tribes at the time, Justice Stevens, in response to your question earlier, um, it is somewhat unclear from history what the positions of the tribes were. As as General Stephan mentioned, uh, there was some question as to the the legitimacy of the Pottawatomie Business Committee that sent the letter at issue. Uh, We would submit, of course, that the Secretary of Interior uh, was the person in a position to determine which group spoke for the tribe, all we know from the legislative history is that that, uh, the executive branch understood the four tribes to want the legislation, and Congress, of course, acted on that understanding. So to the extent that we're trying to determine the meaning of what Congress enacted, its understanding of what the tribes wanted at the time, of course, should should be what counts. Um, Now, that, of course, does not uh, undermine Our position that the canon the statutes should be construed liberally in favor of Indians uh, does not warrant a different result here for for at least two reasons. One, um, it's unclear uh, that the canon urged by petitioner is in favor of the Indians generally. Of course, it's in favor of him. But the concerns that animated this statute were to protect tribal law, law and order on the reservations at the time, and we submit that it was in the interest of the Indians for that statute to be passed for that end. Moreover, even no canon of construction can overcome what we regard as the plain language of the statute, and, of course, it's quite plain legislative history. If the court has any further questions, otherwise I will submit. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Kelly. Uh, Ms. Thompson, you have three minutes remaining.
1: The first point I'd like to make is regarding the argument uh, of double jeopardy. It's not our contention that the state of Kansas, when it's acting under this law, and the federal government, the state of Kansas, when it's acting under this law, some sort of an arm of the United States government. Our contention has always been that the United States government is one sovereign, and the state of Kansas is another sovereign. And therefore, um, an Indian person could conceivably be uh, left wide open to double prosecution by both the federal government and by the state courts. Uh, secondly, regarding the legislative history of the act, again, I would urge the court to give full credence to what Congressman Lambertson said in his letter, that the state of Kansas was to get full jurisdiction for small offenses. This is an expression of the will of Congress. If The state of Kansas was to have jurisdiction, concurrent jurisdiction, over major crimes. Certainly, Congressman Lambertson would have put that in his letter. It would have taken another five or six words to say, and the state will have concurrent jurisdiction over major crimes. Taking into consideration the fact that, as this court has held for the past hundred-plus years, jurisdiction in the federal court over the major crimes is exclusive. Technically, under this law, that does not do away with the exclusivity of the federal courts. However, in reality, it does. Because course, on, it in your
4: view, it would have been very simple, if I may just interrupt you on the textual point, it would have been very simple in the second sentence simply uh, to add one more word. This section shall not deprive the courts of the United States of exclusive jurisdiction over offenses. That would have been the textually easier way to get to the point uh, that that you want us to reach, and yet Congress didn't follow that.
1: No, they did not do that. And again, when they in Congress in 1953 was in the process of passing uh, Public Law 280, they were very specific in granting the uh, states given jur- criminal jurisdiction that the Major Crimes Act and the General Crimes Act and the Assimilated Crimes Act would be modified accordingly.
5: Ms. Thompson, can I make uh, one comment that you might want to comment on? You take Congressman Lambertson as the gospel on these issues, and he said the Indians were in favor of the legislation.
1: Because I believe from that letter it is clear that he is interpreting the legislation, the will of Congress.
5: But he also says, as a matter of fact, all parties are agreed on this bill, the Indians and so forth. So he thought the Indians wanted this bill enacted.
1: But, but again, only for small offenses. Uh, as you know, the legislative history of the act is only four or five Yeah, but years.
5: Your, 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 the amicus brief suggests that the Indians were opposed to the bill, period, not as to part of it. And this history suggests they're in favor of the bill.
1: I can't answer that question, perhaps. Uh,
5: At least it is clear the record before Congress indicated the Indians favored this legislation.
1: That's true.
0: Thank you, Ms. Thomas. Thank you. The case is submitted. We'll hear argument. Next-